You are listening to Seattle Growth Podcast, available free on iTunes. When you have a billionaire willing to invest the kind of money that it sounds like, you know, Chris Hansen and the ownership group are willing to do, my urging to the the city city council and the mayor's office would be to like don't turn that away. Real estate agent Phil Greeley shares a common sentiment here in Seattle. Chris Hansen and his investor group are working to build an arena in Seattle's Soto neighborhood in hopes of attracting an NBA franchise back to the city that lost its Supersonics in 2008. Local sports fans, such as GM nameplate president Greg Root, are eager to see the Supersonics return to the Emerald City. Well, I'm excited about a return to the Sonics, without a doubt. Um, You know, it's just one more thing to be inspired about when you get up in the morning to think about your team and the success there. So... I think it's a good fit for our city. Also, Jeff Brown, who has attracted over 20,000 followers to his Bring Back Our Sonics Twitter account. Now, countless years as, you know, working with Bring Back Our Sonics, it's something we're so invested in. And we just really want to help right or wrong because Seattle had the NBA for 41 years. And, you know, we're a fantastic market. We deserve to have our NBA team. And so we want to do whatever we can to help bring the team back to Seattle. And a return of the Sonics would not just affect the sports fans. It would have an impact on you and life in this city. I'm Jeff Schulman, a marketing professor at the University of Washington's Foster School of Business. Last week on Seattle Growth Podcast, I sat down with members of the Soto Arena Investment Group. And in that episode, you heard more about a proposal that will affect you and your neighbors. You heard from Pete Nordstrom, co-president of the eponymous retailer, who was previously a minority owner of the Seattle Supersonics while the team played in Key Arena. So what I would say then about the viability of, of Key Arena specifically is there's, there's a couple big problems that it has. You'd have to completely renovate it and expand it. I'm not sure that that's possible. It certainly isn't probably possible for any kind of reasonable amount of money as a renovation. So you have to expand it. It's all on city property. How are they going to get the authority to do that? As you've seen here through the political process, how it impacts arenas, that's not easy to do. You also heard from Wally Walker, a championship-winning Sonics player and former team executive. What we propose to do is privately finance, in other words, no public money whatsoever, this arena, the seven acres that's required to build a world-class arena, is bisected by a, a block, really an alley, of Occidental Avenue. To have enough room to build an arena, we need, really, it's just that strip of asphalt to be vacated. Uh, if the council approves that, then we can put a shovel in the ground the next day. Now, the street vacation that Mr. Walker described was not approved by Seattle City Council, as City Council Member Tim Burgess describes. Um, I thought that the city officials who studied that issue and presented the street vacation uh, proposal to us had done a good job, and I saw no reason to deny the street vacation. I was always very skeptical of the claims made by the Port of Seattle that an arena at that location would damage the port. I just, I just don't believe that that's the case. But some of my colleagues felt differently about that. And so, you know, that's part of our process. And uh, I was on the losing end of that vote. Now, he has since said that he doesn't need the financing from the city. So that presents a whole new situation. And Mr. Hansen has indicated that he's going to propose again and ask for the street vacation. Today's episode of Seattle Growth Podcast will help you better understand the port's position. You will hear from Port Commissioner John Creighton, You'll also get historical context about the Port of Seattle from former Port CEO Mick Dinsmore, who served in that capacity for 15 years from 1992 to 2007. This episode concludes with the Executive Director of the Manufacturing Industrial Council, Dave Gehring. 
He describes the local maritime industry and how he fears a Soto Arena could impact not just the industry, but all residents of Seattle. The city is in the midst of its decision-making process, and now is the time to become informed about the benefits and challenges associated with the potential locations. In the previous episode of Seattle Growth Podcast, Wally Walker and Pete Nordstrom described some of the challenges they had in owning a team playing in the key arena location. Now join me as I sit down with Port Commissioner John Creighton to understand his concerns with the proposed Soto Arena location. I am here at Pier 69 with Seattle Port Commissioner John Creighton. John, thanks for joining me today. Hello, Jeff. You are the first and only third time appearance on Seattle Growth Podcast, so thanks for joining me yet again. I'm honored. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, So we're here to talk about uh, what a return of the Sonics would mean to Seattle. And your name has come up a lot in this discussion because as the the group has uh, tried to push an arena in the Soto district, they just needed a street vacation and they were ready to put their shovel in the ground, as they say. And you uh, oppose that. Can you describe a little bit about what exactly do you oppose? Is it uh, the Soto location? Is it the street vacation? Or is it a return of the Sonics overall? Uh, well, thank you for, for that question, Jeff. And it definitely is not the return of the Sonics. In fact, we wholeheartedly support the return of the Sonics and professional sports in Seattle in general, or in King County in general. Um, you know, we started out as an industrial port, moving cargo and whatnot, having a fishing terminal. We've grown over the last hundred years into also a tourism port. So in effect, we have this dual mission, uh, both industrial cargo and tourism. So, you know, operating an airport that sees 45 million passengers a year, operating two cruise terminals that send close to a million travelers a year up to Alaska and back. Um, We're all about economic development jobs through tourism and professional sports are a large part of that. In fact, I sit on the Seattle Sports Commission and I'm a huge sports fan. I remember, you know, I grew up with the Sonics. Um, I had a Seattle Times afternoon paper route uh, when they were in the finals, uh, what, 79 when they won the finals. And I remember racing through my paper route to get home so I could watch the Sonics. Uh, so we're very much in favor of bringing the Sonics back to town. And so I just wanted to make that clear. What we're concerned about is the Soto location and that being right smack on the port's major freight corridor from our seaport cargo terminals to I-90 to I-5. And it's not only the arena. It's also this proposed uh, entertainment district as part of the arena where you could have folks there not only for games and then it's not only, you know, basketball games themselves, but, you know, if you have concerts there or whatnot, I mean, who knows how many nights a year it could be busy. And I think it was a step in the right direction when the Uh, Sonic's uh, ownership team or the proposed uh, ownership team um, reached out to the city and said that they were willing to do a scheduling agreement. Uh, But, you know, uh, if you have so many events a year um, and also as the terminals grow, they're not only going to be nine to five, but we'll probably, in fact, we have been doing an experiment where we do what's called night gates and so you're incentivizing truckers to go pick up containers in the off hours because that's when the, the traffic is a lot lower, obviously. And so, you know, if you're having all sorts of activity there 24-7, uh, that could greatly impact our competitiveness as a port. And uh, some estimates say that there'll be over a million cars added to Soto every year by virtue of putting a, uh, an arena down in Soto. So... 
that's what we're really concerned about is it, you know, how would an arena impact the competitiveness of our seaport terminals? And really, have we done our due diligence in looking at are there other possible sites within Seattle and within the region? And so you're often portrayed as the villain uh, because the arena was close to happening, needed a street vacation, and largely influenced by the impact on the port, uh, the street vacation w- was not granted. H- how does it feel to play the role of the villain? You know, um, uh, it is interesting, or it has been interesting, because I am a big sports fan. Uh, my sister used to be a season ticket holder to the Sonics. Uh, my parents are season ticket holders to the Mariners. I'm a season ticket holder to the Seahawks last 15 years. And, you know, we trade tickets among the family. So I go to a lot of these games. A lot of uh, sportscasters on local radio who I love to listen to are demonizing me for the position I'm taking. And, you know, that's fair enough. But I do think um, we're not just trying to be alarmist. We want to work with the region to make sure that, you know, we can have things like bring the Sonics back to town while maintaining a competitive port. So, you know, we're very much trying to be uh, constructive in the way we go about things. But um, that said, that site does raise serious concerns for us. And so who are you fighting for exactly? Who do you think is benefiting from your efforts to try to stop the Soto Arena site? Well, you know, as um, Seattle grows and gentrifies and becomes less affordable, um, we feel that the middle-class jobs created by port industrial activity are really key to having a diverse economy where people can, you know, have jobs where they can support families, um, you know, be able to afford houses or rents, um, you know, and uh, in general, just be able to afford putting a roof over their family's heads. And, um, you know, it's great that uh, we have this exploding tech economy, uh, but, you know, not everyone goes that route. And uh, with maritime industrial jobs, you know, they can support folks who might not, you know, have their route or preferred route going to a four-year college, but maybe doing something vocational. You know, crane operators, uh, longshore, uh, welders at shipyards, um, electricians, um, construction workers, all these types of jobs are good-paying blue-collar jobs that you can support families on. And, you know, really our argument is Um, it's best to have a diversified economy. I mean, it's great to foster tech and other aspects of our economy, but let's not forget maritime industrial. And in fact, uh, industrial companies still support about a third of the tax base in Seattle. And that, you know, that's tax revenue that pays for city, critical city services. And so talk specifics to the electrician and the crane worker. What do you see is going to happen to them if the Soto Arena gets built? Well, as, um, you know, the transportation corridors get more and more congested, that greatly impacts, um, <coughs> the you know, for shippers, time is money. It's critical to, you know, have both, uh, I mean, timing and reliability are the two biggest factors for shippers. And if you impact either one of those, you know, they'll go elsewhere. Uh, you know, the Port of Seattle, Port of Tacoma, where, where what, what's called discretionary ports, where only 30% of the cargo that comes into our ports stays local. The rest uh, gets shipped to warehouses in Columbus, Ohio, or Nashville, Tennessee. And um, so shippers can really use any ports up and down the West Coast, or you know, Canada, um, Oakland, 
L.A., Long Beach, or, you know, go through the Panama Canal to the East Coast. So um, it's critical that we maintain an efficient port, both in terms of reliability and timing, and congested streets could really impact that. The Seahawks averaged 69,000 fans per game in the 2016 regular season. Proponents of the Soto NBA arena argue this is evidence that the site can handle NBA games where uh, even the Chicago Bulls, who lead the league in attendance, are only drawing 21,000 fans per game. Uh, Any comment on that? Yes, although there's uh, many more basketball games a year uh, than there are um, football games, number one. Uh, you know, football games, to, although, you know, granted, the NFL is going more towards Monday and Thursday night games. Um, but, uh, you know, for the most part, NFL games take place over the weekend. And what there's only, um, what, there's 10 home games with preseason and regular season a year. Whereas an arena, you know, not only would be basketball, but it would be concerts, it, you know, in terms of, making the financials of the arena work, I think the ownership group has been clear that it's not only basketball that they wish to attract. And that's what concerns us. And also, as as I mentioned, we're looking to go more and more t- to night gates as uh, cargo increases through our port. So that will, you know, will not only be moving cargo nine to five, but in the evenings and sometimes the weekends as well. Some also argue that the development of the area in question is inevitable with the population growth and the rising housing prices and the value of land uh, that the city has seen recently. What are your thoughts on the inevitability of of this region being developed with or without an arena? You know, I think that is a fair point. Um, at a certain point, you can't stop market forces. On the other hand, I think we we need to try to protect what we have in the industrial area because, again, the Soto supports some 30,000 good-paying maritime industrial jobs. These are middle-class jobs that can support families. And, again, as the city gentrifies, as the city densifies um, and becomes less and less affordable, those are the types of jobs that you want to hold on to. Can you comment on the specific effects that you believe of the, the street vacation, not just the arena? You know, one thing... Um, on the um, Occidental Street Vacation. I know a lot of folks look at that incredulously and say, hey, Port, you know, it's just a little alleyway. You know, how could you be so, you know, adamant about protecting it? Well, it does, um, you know, that corridor in congested times uh, in the morning and, you know, afternoon rush hours does relieve about 10% of the traffic going north-south. And, that is huge. You know, First, First Avenue South, um, the King County Metro Bus Service has stopped sending buses along that route because it gets so congested. That alleyway might seem insignificant, but it's all part of the system. And, you know, taking away any part of the system has great impact on the rest of the system. So I know a lot of people seem incredulous about it, but trust me, our studies show that it would have a big impact. The network is a system, and you have to be very careful about impacting any one part of that system. We're thrilled that Lander Street, the overpass, is going forward. I think with the growth in Seattle, we might eventually have to look at two of those types of overpasses to get traffic efficiently east-west in Soto. If you can get a message out to the people of Seattle as to what you would like them to do to help your cause and why it would be in their best interest to do that, what would you say? I would just say that, um, you know, we support... The Sonics coming back to town. You think it would be good for the economy, but 
we really would like everyone to take a hard look at is the Soto Arena um, proposal the right spot for the arena or would Key Arena be better or is there another alternative that would be even better? I think, um, you know, we really have to take a step back and look hard at not impacting uh, our maritime industrial community. I mean, it's, you know, Seattle was built on our maritime heritage and it's still very impactful. Like I said, Maritime Industrial is responsible for a third of the city's tax base that pays for critical services. It supports some 30,000 good-paying middle-class jobs in Soto. And I think that's, you know, a golden goose for our community or a goose that, you know, lays a golden egg. And we don't want to do anything to harm it. At the same time, I'd love to see the Sonics back to town. Any concluding thoughts? Again, I'm a huge sports fan. I'm pulling for the Sonics to come back to town. Um, you know, the port, again, we're heavy into the tourism economy. Professional sports is a big part of drawing people to town, and we support that. John, thank you for joining me yet again on Seattle Growth Podcast. Much appreciated. Thank you. For insight into the potential future impact on the Port of Seattle, it is valuable to look back. Mick Dinsmore served as the CEO of the Port of Seattle from 1992 to 2007, a time in which the city and the port experienced significant changes. Join me as I sit down with Mick Dinsmore to better understand what the port has historically meant to the residents of Seattle and how changes to the Soto neighborhood could affect its businesses and workers. I'm here with Mick Dinsmore. Uh, He's the former CEO of the Port of Seattle, where he served for 15 years as CEO from 1992 to 2007. Mick, thanks for joining me today. Uh, Jeff, you're welcome. Nice to be here. So first, why don't you tell me just a little bit about what you've been up to since your time as CEO of the Port? Yeah, that's been almost 10 years ago. Uh, I still participate on a couple, three boards, one on Tokyo, one at the University of Washington, I'm in business with my youngest daughter. We have six Pure Bar studios, and she and my son-in-law run them. And then I go around the world fly fishing, so it's a good life. Very nice. And take us back uh, more than 10 years ago when when you were in the middle of your your service as the CEO of the Port of Seattle. Uh, What was your mission, or what were you trying to accomplish uh, in your role there? Well, you know, the port then and now own and operate on behalf of the public, not only the seaport, but SeaTac. And uh, SeaTac has had exponential growth during my tenure and subsequent to my tenure. So that's that's always been a challenge. And one of the, the latest or the last projects when I was CEO was we put together the final opening of the third runway, 22-year process. Seaport uh, had lots of commerce moving through in my tenure and uh, it still does although with terminal 5 empty it's a a little less so challenges are are similar but my goal when i was there was to make this region economic viable in every different aspect and during your time uh, so the population according to the census bureau went from roughly 520,000 people in seattle to 590,000 so an increase of over 10 percent during your time as ceo do you recall feeling that increase of people and, and how that affected your ability to, or the port's ability to achieve your mission? 
Yeah, and part of the mission, obviously, is to move people and commerce in and out of this region in a cost-effective, meaningful way. We were struggling mightily during my tenure, especially as it relates to moving people and moving commerce with the containers on the waterfront. And uh, every day that I'm in this city, and I'm out of it a lot, but every day I'm here and I drive, I'm thankful I don't have anything to do with the transportation conundrum. And so walk us through what that transportation really means. Um, more detail or more feelings or more numbers, whatever there is to give more color to it. Well, when you look at what's taken place, Jeff, over the last several years, and the port's been growing and, and contributing tremendous amount of activity for for the economic vitality, including down there, Terminal 46 and, and East Waterway. But I'm telling you, even driving a car down there the last five years has been a tremendous challenge. And I watch uh, the containers moving in out there, and I can't imagine what kind of cabal that has turned out to be. But it appears that part of that uh, is coming to an end, and now that most of the investments are made, it should get better. But then you, you move people, not only from the waterfront, the cruise industry, five, six months out of the year, but from SeaTac in and out. And I'll tell you what, other than the, the late hours of the day and early morning, I use SeaTac a lot in my travels. And getting to and from the airport is one Herculean challenge. So this region's transportation challenges are far from being over. And why do those transportation challenges matter beyond just the uncomfortable inconvenience? Well, uncomfortable and inconvenience equates to dollars, real, real cost. If you're a transportation company and you have your, your equipment and your drivers tied up in traffic, what should be a, an hour in and out of a facility and turns out to be four or five hours, obviously the, the net effect is significant on the negative side. And people, I mean, you look at I-5 from 5 in the morning till 7 at night, it's a parking lot. And, and 99 isn't a whole lot different. And so uh, we still have tremendous challenges with transportation. And did transportation become an issue during your time as the CEO of the port? Uh, well, clearly it was an issue then, Jeff, as it is now. I'm not so sure it, it isn't a larger issue now because more people, more, more activities. But I look at the time of uh, I was CEO and the capital we invested along with the city and the state and the federal government in some cases and it was significant but all we were doing was basically staying up with with the growth now not not in a very constructive way but at least keeping people in commerce working today i'm not so sure we're staying up with the, the incremental growth in people in commerce so greater challenge today probably do you have any conjecture on what a return of the Sonics would mean for the port's ability to achieve the mission that you had? Well, then and now, I'm a, I'm a big proponent of, of professional sports and the economic vitality they, they bring to the region. Uh, uh, we had ongoing discussions then with the owners of the Sonics, including Howard Schultz and, and Stan Baer and many others, about trying to find a solution for a new arena. I think it's absolutely criminal that uh, we, the, the populace, including the mayor at the time, let the Sonics move out of this region. So I would be a strong proponent to encourage the region from an economic vitality and a, an identification uh, of this region uh, to try to get another professional basketball team back. As the city has changed in 
added more people, added more money, added more marquee companies, and added more sports teams that with the Sounders. Do any of those changes affect your calculus as to how you feel about returning the Sonics? Now? No, I just think to be a great city, an international city, a city that is blessed to have tremendous diversity, uh, having professional sports, and I'd be bold enough to say as many as you can ultimately end up with does does tremendous good things for the region. And do you want to go into a little bit more detail as to what kinds of good things it means to the region? Well, you just look at the, the rudimentary job creation. I mean, it is unbelievably positive, and it, it works all the way up from the, from the lowest entry-level job to the top end of the spectrum, and, and it hits all different disciplines, whether it's food and groceries, whether it's taxi cabs, whether it's floors. It's similar in nature to, to the cruise industry. I mean, the numbers when I was actively involved, that every sailing that came in and out of this harbor brought over a million dollars that left behind when the when the vessel left. And I mean, you just do the multiplier and it really, really has a profound impact in a constructive way on the citizenship. With the cruise terminal, did you see while the Sonics were here, a lot of cruise passengers going to sporting events while they were here? Yeah, I not only saw it, I attended some of the events with some of the, the travelers in and out of this region. I mean, you look right now, we're known for many, many things. And for the most part, very constructive, positive things, but few get up as high as in the meaning of, of visitors as uh, teams like the like the Seahawks. Whether you're a football fan or not, people love it. And do you see any challenges uh, that could come with the return of the Sonics? Well, I would imagine, and, and quite candidly, Jeff, I haven't looked at the numbers for years because I try to stay out of the traffic flow. I, I can go wherever I'm going late and, and come back early so I don't have to be there first in the morning and last at night. But, I mean, yeah, when, whenever you bring in more people and when you have more economic activity, you, you're going to impact in probably a negative way the transportation conundrum. So unless the, the, the state, the city, the ports, the feds are willing to continue to make investments, and they, there's been several investments, including the, the opening of the, the 520. I mean, it has been positive in a constructive way and, and sound transit, but unless you continue to do that, uh, it would probably impact the, the movement of people in commerce in a negative way. And do you see any other challenges associated with the return of the Sonics? Yeah, you know, at about the 30,000 foot level, no. I think that, for the most part, would be all very positive. Uh, and get below the 30,000-foot level, and I'm sure there's there's uh, issues that would have to be uh, looked at and reviewed and analyzed and, and settled. Uh, but overall, I still I err on the side of more is better, and especially when it relates to people and their quality of life. So, What resources or actions do you think need to be in place to mitigate or minimize the challenge of transportation that you spoke of? Well, I look at, uh, I go to... Uh, uh, the Sounders games, and I go to Seahawks game, and I see a very, very wonderful way of, of access and egress with a whole lot of people. So the, the appropriate individual entities have done a good job of moving a whole lot of people in and out of that, that area where both stadiums are. Now, uh, depending on where they put the, the Sonics, I'm sure there's going to be several challenges that smart people are going to have to work out. And so let's talk to you personally what did the Sonics mean to you while they were here? Well, I, again, I'm a sports enthusiast. Uh, 
I know Howard, and Howard being uh, one of the owners, and one of my closest friends, Stan Bear, was one of the owners. So it meant that several times I got to be on the on the Sonic's floor and watching it. So that was kind of cool, and and it just I think it builds a lot of energy and camaraderieship uh, within the region. And uh, plus, you know, we had the pleasure of having some very good Sonic teams. Is there anything I'm missing as it relates to the Sonics? Other than location. I mean, you know, where, where, where are they going to go? There's, you know, the port has every reason to be protective of maritime commerce facilities. And 46 is clearly one of, one of those locations. And it's one of the few locations probably in the world where you have a vibrant container activity with lots and lots of movement of, of commerce in and out right in the heart of the city. So now if you had another professional sport down in that same area where I already have football and I already have soccer and baseball, uh, it's probably going to create some challenges. But again, with smart people here, uh, there's solutions for them. And do you have any insight on that location that you could share with the everyday person who's listening and wondering, hmm, should I support uh, one location versus another? One day, and I mean, whether it's now or whether it's in the future, but one day there ought to be a way to figure out where to still have maritime commerce and not have a facility that's right in the heart of everything. Now, whether or not that gets done, I'm, I'm the first to say I'm, I don't know. Lots and lots of emotions go into that. But when you look at the, the movement of all the people and the stadium now and, you, and the containers in and out there, my goodness. Uh, uh, that, that has to be, it was a Herculean challenge when I was CEO, and, and all I see now, Jeff, is it's a greater challenge. And can you help somebody understand what waterfront commerce means to them? So somebody who maybe has never interacted, doesn't have family or friends participating in that commerce, are, are they affected by the vibrancy of the waterfront commerce, and if so, how? Well, they are, because it's, it's a vibrant industry that pays a tremendous amount of taxes, creates a tremendous amount of jobs, and they're good family wage jobs uh, without exception. So any, i.e. if it weren't there, I mean, there'd be a whole lot of people, including myself, that live downtown that would be paying more in taxes, more in different, different uh, amenities. And the rudimentary, fundamentally, but absolute requirement in police and fire, that they draw their monies out of things like I just referenced. So, yeah, it would impact all of us if it weren't there. Do you have any concluding thoughts? Well, again, I'm a fan of professional sports. I think the return of the Sonics would, would have a positive impact. It would uh, additionally cement our presence in this wonderful United States and around the globe. I mean, I, I still travel abroad a lot, and, and we're known for many things from our coffee to the cruise industry to movement of people and and airplanes and the Boeing Company and everything, the Amazons, but we're also known for entities like what used to be the Sonics and now not here, but the Seahawks and our other professional mariners. And So, yeah, it's a big deal. Mick, thank you very much for your time and, and your perspective. I really appreciate hearing your thoughts on this matter. Thanks, Jeff. For further explanation of the current concerns regarding the proposed Soto Arena site, join me as I sit down with the Executive Director of the Manufacturing and Industrial Council. 
I am here at the Manufacturing Industrial Council headquarters on Marginal Way with Dave Gehring. Dave is the executive director of the Manufacturing Industrial Council. Dave, thanks for joining me today. You bet. Uh, Dave, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? Wow. Well, I'm a Seattle area native. I was a newspaper reporter back in the day, then got into public affairs work and then went into on my own public affairs work, gosh, probably 20 years ago and wound up getting the gig with the Mick. Gosh, probably 18 years ago. Tell me about uh, the MIC, as you call it, the Manufacturing Industrial Council. Yeah, we're, we're an industrial advocacy group for the industrial base of the city. And we're a neighborhood group, but it's a heck of a neighborhood. And so we've got a pretty good uh, list of members, uh, large and small. And uh, Seattle is blessed by having a healthy industrial base that is continuing to thrive into the 21st century. Uh, but it's a very competitive environment and a lot of different ideas about what to do with land in Seattle. And and when you really understand the city, the land supply is so limited. You know, you're so constrained by everything that makes us beautiful, the water, the view property, the topography, all the hills. Uh, make it a, a really challenging city in some ways about how do you accommodate a lot of different people and uses that want to be here. Make a pitch as to why is it important to people who are not involved uh, with industry oh, here? The wealth creation, the amount of money that this old school stuff continues to generate is amazing by any measure. Uh, billions and billions and billions of dollars. And um, if we just had the Boeing company, uh, it would be impressive, but on top of that, you've got a very robust maritime community because of where we are physically in the world. The nature of Puget Sound, when you understand it from a commercial standpoint, not just a scenic standpoint or an environmental point of view, but just where it is in the world and this protected waterway that's you know shielded by the Olympic Mountains from the ocean. There aren't any great shipwreck stories about Puget Sound which makes it really boring. But in the world of uh, shipping and, and the other people who utilize that waterway, it's it's an amazing resource. So so it's a lot of mix of everything. And then because of uh, the population center that's here, there's just a lot of industry that goes along with that that you would find in any community. Unique to us is the proportion of maritime and aerospace. And so what does that maritime industry mean to the people who work every day within it? Oh, well, it's a very well-paid field. Uh, very accessible, you know, um, a lot of similarities actually to healthcare. a lot of stuff that you can get a certificate, you can come out of high school, community college program, get a pretty good job that's full-time benefits, usually with a good career path uh, that might not be available in all, all sectors of the economy where you can really move up the pay scale. And then all the way up to baccalaureate, doctor degrees, you know, you can be as smart as you want to be, uh, get as much education as you want. That's true of of aerospace, maritime, and healthcare. And so most of Seattle knows about the big companies of Amazon and Microsoft and Facebook and Google are opening big offices here, Tableau, Zulily. It can go on and on with tech companies and retail companies, Starbucks. Who are some of the big players in the maritime industry? There isn't a Boeing of maritime. Uh, Boeing is in a class by itself in, in relationship to those companies that you've mentioned. Uh, there isn't like a giant of maritime that that 
is over on in the Navy shipyard in Bremerton. The rest of Maritime, uh, Trident Seafood, uh, probably the biggest seafood company in North America, is still based here in Seattle, was founded here by a former crab boat captain. Uh, Foss Maritime, one of the great tugboat companies of the world. Only the Mick thinks of people as great tugboat companies, but it was founded by a woman. It was the model of Tugboat Annie, uh, Thea Foss, a great local company that's one of the leading companies in the world at what they do uh, in terms of marine services. Uh, Manson Construction, just right over here on the Duwamish Waterway, is one of the great maritime construction companies in the world for building things in the water. And uh, But you're right, they certainly aren't going to have the visibility of the companies that you described. And so what are your thoughts on a potential return of the Seattle Supersonic? Terrific idea. And why is that? Maybe you could share maybe some memories of attending or watching the Sonics. Oh, God, when yeah. The, uh, the championship game, you know, going to the games. I mean, uh, that was part for, for all of us in my age group. Uh, and are you talking 1979? Or are you talking? Yeah. The, mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, so, when they came. Bob Rule. Spencer Haywood, I mean, uh, you know, they were here before other major league sports were, and I remember that vividly, and it was a great franchise, and it was a shame that we lost them. What did it mean to you personally when they were here? Well, I'm a sports fan. I, I, I love sports. I, I was an athlete when I was younger, and, uh, you know, it's exciting to see the Sounders do well, and just like the kids can relate to the Sounders because so many of them play soccer, you know, I came out of an age group that, that there were a lot of sporting opportunities in high school. And uh, so, you know, I enjoyed them in the same way that I enjoy the Mariners and the Seahawks. And walk me through what it was like in 1979 when Seattle, the city, its first sports franchise is winning its first championship. Well, it was a lot of fun. And the next day you got up and it was back to life as normal. Okay. <laughs> Let's be honest. You yeah. know, and for most people, that I think that's, that's the truth. And what about uh, the 1996 run-up to the NBA Finals? What was the energy like around here? It was, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. I'm not, you know, relative terms is anything as big as Husky football used to be or, you know, might be right now. Uh, you know, it's probably relative. Uh, I think the Seahawks, I think the... I think they have a pretty special hold on the city. Um, so I'm not sure it was as pervasive as those, but I mean, yeah, it was a lot of fun if you're, if you're into spectator sports. So you had a lot of fun when the Sonics were here. You would like to see them return. If you can get a message out to potential owners uh, in bringing them back, what would you ask of them or what would you say to them? Uh, take a look at what the mayor is trying to do at Key Arena and see if there's a way to bring them back there. This was something that we had asked for all along, was don't limit it to just one option. And uh, so I think it's a, a great step forward that they're taking a look at it. And how would the uh, how would an arena and an NBA franchise and, and potentially a hockey franchise in the Soto area, how would that affect those companies and the people that, that you serve with the Manufacturing Industrial Council? I think it would be uh, the stadium operation itself would have an impact and then the related growth that they're now very open about which they weren't at the beginning uh they see this as the start of a real makeover of soto and we're opposed to that can you give some more specifics as to what you're concerned about or worry might happen if the stadium's there uh the two existing stadiums have a dramatic impact uh the way they are 
and the mitigation plans that were the conditions of them going on have never been fulfilled. And so I think the concern is partly that there'll be a lot of promises made that, oh, we'll make these transportation and these freight improvements and everything will be fine. Uh, and then history shows us that might not happen. Uh, one group of elected officials can't oblige the next group of elected officials to do anything. I think the overall concern practically up there is Soto is just a huge logistics hub. When you look at the rail facilities that are there, the marine cargo facilities are there. Those are really significant to our state. And that's why you saw so many state legislators weighing in on the Occidental Street vacation. And so to put a facility that could go in a lot of different places, somewhere where you can't replicate that harbor, you'll never replicate that rail, that rail infrastructure that's there. Uh, the marine cargo terminals, I don't know where you would build new ones, you know. And so we don't see why we would introduce another uh, inconsistent use. And then I think the, the, the concerns about what would come along with it, we, we're already seeing some rumblings about it. Uh, well, how about residential in Soto? Well, that's usually the death knell of industry. So I think it's a concern about not mitigating what the actual impacts would be or how would we do that? What assurances would there be? And are they assurances that could be kept? And then I think the sort of cumulative impact about then what would all come along with that. And can you walk me through a little bit more specifics of what you would anticipate happening? So is it that a company would leave that's currently providing jobs the, or is it somebody would sell? The, the marine cargo industry is really competitive. And the amount of time that it takes to be able to process your loads there. Uh, the terminals that are at risk there are the truck-based terminals. They aren't, these aren't the rail. Uh, they're, they're some of the terminals in the port are, are, are really driven by rail access. Those, that group up there, when you drive by it, you can see it, have not only the giant railroad yard, but for exporters, importers that are truck-based, that is the part of the harbor where all that, for most of that happens. So introducing traffic that doesn't start when the game, when the tip-off occurs. And part of the sales pitch for the arena is, A, well, this will revitalize everything, and people will come down at, for lunch and stay for the game, and won't that be great? Well, no, it won't be great. That means this sort of traffic impact um, that we think could be very negative. And why you would introduce that into an area that, um, where it isn't supposed to be um, there wasn't a third arena site there. That was something discovered by a previous mayor and the real estate developer. Uh, we were here when all that happened. It wasn't, it's not like a suburban subdivision where, hey, we've, we've done two stadiums, now we've got space for a third one and there's, there's a site for it. So that's not what that community's planned for. That's not what the infrastructure is based on. Um, and can you take it down to a micro level as to one person, uh, describe a type of person or a type of company uh, that you represent or serve with the Manufacturing Industrial Council and walk me through how their life changes once an arena starts to get built there and, and the development around that. The marine cargo industry is very important. That's what the longshoremen work in. They are certainly the ones who are fighting this the hardest, and I think will fight it forever because they see it as something that's not in their long-term self-interest. 
to support, and again, a facility that could go anywhere. The wholesale distribution hub that is still down there serving everybody would probably be another dimension of that that's not directly related to the marine cargo terminals but could be impacted. And there are those that there's been kind of two arguments that I've seen. One is it's the stadium district. Why would people oppose putting a stadium in a stadium district? Why don't you comment well, on that? That's a fiction. This was a real estate deal that was negotiated before it was ever announced to the public, in which a previous mayor and a developer agreed that this is where they wanted to put a third stadium. That area was never planned for three professional sports stadiums. It just wasn't. Uh, we were here when all that planning occurred. Uh, so that's, that's really kind of a fiction. Uh, the existing stadium district, to the extent we've got two professional sports stadiums, uh, again, they were supposed to be mitigated by specific transportation improvements that either didn't occur or were done in a much less robust way than they were agreed to. There are also those that are that say there's growth and change is inevitable and that whether there's an arena there or not, uh, the makeover of that real estate will will happen anyway any comment on that well the the rail probably will not change uh the marine cargo industry people keep saying oh well, it's going away and and it doesn't you know it's part of the our modern trade economy um so that's kind of a in my opinion a fiction too when warren buffett who is the largest property owner in soto it's the burlington northern santa fe when, when they pull up stakes and say, okay, we're leaving, then I think, yeah, there's probably going to be a pretty significant change. There, there's absolutely no indication that's going to happen. And for us as a community and a region, there's nowhere to put that rail. There's, I, it's unimaginable to anyone you could go replicate those yards, those maintenance facilities, the through tracks. Where would you put it? Do you have any concluding thoughts about a potential return of the Sonics and, and what you would like to see if that, that does come to fruition? Well, I think Key Arena is where I went to the games. It's where we all went to the games. That's where there, there, there was a lot of uh, community engagement. So I, I think it's a good idea from an entertainment standpoint or sort of a cultural standpoint to take a look at that again. I think it was a mistake not to look at it from the get-go. And then if it can't work at Key Arena, I don't know, do we look at somewhere else? Because what we started the conversation about the cultural value of all this, the excitement, would that be any different to people if the Sonics were located in Bellevue? Is, is there a reason absolutely everything has to go into Seattle? And I think it's, you know, like 88 square miles. It, it's having a very hard time accommodating the existing traffic levels in every neighborhood. And so is it always an answer in Seattle, well, we're just going to pour more activity into here? I don't know. I think that might be an unrealistic expectation. Dave, thank you very much for your time and Yeah, you're welcome. I appreciate sure. it. That is all for today's episode of Seattle Growth Podcast. Have an opinion to share about the Port of Seattle and the Soto Arena proposal? Reach out to me on Twitter, at Prof Shulman. I'm eager to hear your perspective. And stay tuned next week for an in-depth look at how the arena location choice will affect traffic and your commute. You'll hear from three-time NBA All-Star Detlef Schrempf, who played in Key Arena. 
Key Arena was a phenomenal facility in the 90s. Now, CL Center is almost impossible to get to, um, you know, if you're coming anywhere off I-5 freeway because Mercer Street is just a mess. And though similar sentiments are echoed by many Seattle residents, you will be surprised by what you hear from Seattle's Department of Transportation Director, Scott Kubley. I'm going to talk about the strengths and weaknesses of both. But, you know, I don't want to necessarily draw comparisons between the two because they both have they both have strengths and weaknesses. And from Seattle Transit blog editor Martin Duke. I would personally prefer Key Arena. I'm a bit of a long term thinker on these kinds of issues, and I would suck it up uh, for, for some amount of time. Both of them provide in-depth detail about the pros and cons of each arena location and how it will affect various members of our community. Next week's episode will give you a better understanding of how the city's choice of an arena location will affect your commute, whether you are heading to the Sonics games or simply heading home after work. And since there are still decisions being made, you will have a better sense of how to have your voice be heard on the issue. Be sure to subscribe to Seattle Growth Podcast for free on iTunes. Still to come in this season are interviews with Hall of Famer Lenny Wilkins, legendary Sonic Slick Watts, city leaders, business leaders, academic experts, and more. You will not want to miss a single episode. I am Jeff Shulman, and I thank you for joining me on this journey in the second season of Seattle Growth Podcast.